Good morning, church. We're going to be in Jonah chapter 4, if you'll turn over there with me. Jonah chapter 4. We're going to be talking about contempt with the Creator in Jonah chapter 4. All right. Jonah chapter 4. Say amen when you're there. All right. Jonah chapter 4, we're talking about contempt with the Creator. We're going to be looking at Jonah chapter 4, um, and if you will remember back with, with me uh, over the past few weeks, we've been going through the book of Jonah. Uh, we've been looking at uh, Jonah chapters 1 through 3 in the previous weeks, and so just to give a quick recap of what we've seen, we see Jonah is called to be a prophet. He is a Hebrew, uh, and he's called to be a prophet. Jonah is called to prophesy to Nineveh, and Nineveh from where Jonah is born, um, we can see in Second Kings where he's born, uh, from where Jonah is born in Israel to where Nineveh is, is uh, if you can imagine, Nineveh is right about where Mosul, Iraq is today, is about 800 mile trip, 800 mile trip. Okay, so if you can just picture that in your mind, my wife and I just recently went to Arkansas, it was about a 900 mile trip. Uh, it's a long drive in a car. Now Jonah didn't have a car, uh, may have had a chariot or something of that nature, but uh, he had to take an 800-mile trip to Nineveh. Remember, Jonah is a Hebrew. He's a Jew. He's a prophet, and he's going to go prophesy to these Gentile people by the, by the uh, commandment of God. God has placed a call upon Jonah's life to prophesy to these Gentile people, and uh, he's called to go do that. He's called to take an 800-mile trip to do it, and uh, Jonah says, nope, I don't think so, God. I don't want to have anything to do with that. As a matter of fact, uh, Jonah gets in a boat and flees to Tarshish. Um, think of it like this. The idea is if, if God called me to go speak and preach to the people of New York City, and I got in a boat and went to the Bahamas. That's what Jonah did. Um, and roughly, uh, the, the mileage there is, is, is about the same. Um, and, but God brings an act of uh, judgment upon Jonah, an act of discipline, if you will, upon Jonah, and Jonah ends up in the belly of a big fish. For three nights and three days. Well, uh, God is not done with Jonah. J- remember, God has called Jonah to prophesy to the people of Nineveh, and that must take place. So God allows this fish to preserve Jonah's life, uh, and it causes the fish to vomit Jonah up on to the, the seashore, um, where Jonah gets on his feet again, and God repeats his call to Jonah's life. He repeats to Jonah what he would have him do. And then Jonah begrudgingly goes and obeys God's divine call and preaches to Nineveh a message of judgment. He says to Nineveh, 40 days and your city will be overthrown. Jonah then uh, sits, he he exits the city after going in the city for three days preaching this impending judgment upon them. Jonah sits outside the city to see what will happen next. And that's where we are in chapter 4 this morning. That's all the items that lead up to uh, this moment in chapter 4 where we will begin. I'm going to start reading in verse three, or, uh, chapter 3, verse 10, but before I do that, just to kind of set the scene for the dialogue and the narrative that's going to take place here, there's a couple of questions I have to ask you um, in considering contempt with the Creator. And those questions are this. Are you struggling with the task and purpose that God has placed upon your life? Maybe God's called you to something that you're struggling with it. Maybe it it might not be what you wanted, what you thought. Um, Or maybe in your eyes, it doesn't measure up to what you thought your life might be like. What about where you are currently in life? Maybe you are exactly where God would have you be. Maybe it's your job. Maybe it's uh, your... um, your, your, your place of employment or just the, the place you are in life, financially or uh, whatever, uh, maybe that's where God exactly wants you to be, but you aren't necessarily there. You aren't, you aren't happy being there. Um, and so you're, you maybe are disappointed or angry with God because you aren't exactly where you want to be at this moment in time, even though you know you're exactly in the will of God. And then, you know, I think Jonah could relate to that because Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh, uh, but he went to Nineveh, and then he didn't, he didn't want to preach to them, but uh, God had wanted him to do that. And then the question is, have you ever been angry with God? Since God is extremely gracious and compassionate, why would anyone get angry with him? Why have you been angry with him? And then lastly, have you ever considered God's perspective 
on your issues? Have you, do you think God cares? Have you ever considered how God is viewing where he has you in this moment um, and what purpose uh, that he would have in that? And so I'd like you to think on those questions as we look at and examine the text this morning and find out where you fit in. Uh, where are you in this narrative? Place yourself either in the, in the footsteps of Jonah, in the footsteps of the people of Nineveh, or even um, outside the gate of the city, just looking in. And place yourself in this story and, and really lean into the story to see where God would, would, what God would have to say to you, but also to see where you uh, assimilate yourself in here because a couple of different things we're going to see this morning, uh, but it may help you uh, to, uh, to bring the Bible to life to you this morning. And so if all possible, let's take a glimpse at our life and at what the call is on our life and what God is doing in our life, let's take a glimpse at it from just a small, if, if at all possible, glimpse uh, perspective from what the Creator would have us to, to see. And so we're going to start reading in, verse, in Jonah chapter 3, verse 10. Uh, we're going to start uh, there, and we're going to read all through chapter 4. And it says this, the Word of the God says this, When God saw their deeds, they turned from their wicked way. Then God relented concerning the calamity which he declared. He would not bring it upon them. He did not do it. But it greatly displeased Jonah, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord and said, Please, Lord, was this not what I said while I was still in my own country? Therefore, in order to forestall this, I fled to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, and one who relents concerning calamity. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for death is better to me than life. Then the Lord said, Do you have good reason to be angry? Then Jonah went out of the city and sat east of it. There he made a shelter for himself and sat under, sat under it in the shade until he could see what would happen to the city. So the Lord God appointed a plant, and it grew up over Jonah to be a shade over his head to deliver him from his discomfort. And Jonah was extremely happy about the plant. But God appointed a worm when it when dawn came the next day and it attacked the plant and it withered. When the sun came up, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on Jonah's head so that he became faint and begged with all his soul to die, saying, death is better to me than life. And God said to Jonah, do you have good reason to be angry about the plant? And he said, I have good reason to be angry even to death. Then the Lord said, you had compassion on the plant, which you did not work, and which you did not cause to grow, which came up overnight and perished overnight. Should I not have compassion on Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know the difference between their right hand, their right and their left hand, as well as many animals? Dearly Father, I just thank you for this day that you've given us to come together to worship you, Father, to see from your word what you'd have us see, Father. Father, I thank you for your extreme compassion, Father, and your unrelenting grace that you have for people. Father, for your people, but also for the people who do not know you. And Father, it is your desire that, that they would come to repentance and they would come to find this hope in Christ before the day of judgment. Father, it is your desire that none would perish, but that all would come to repentance. And Father, I thank you for that. In this moment, Father, as we open up your text in, um, in Jonah chapter 4, and we, we dive in to see where we fit into this narrative, Father, help us see not only your compassion on, upon Jonah, but also your compassion upon the people of Nineveh. Let us be reminded that even as Jonah was angry with you, and at times in life we can become ourselves angry with you, but that anger is misplaced, that we're missing the point, that you are a good God, and that you love your people with an extreme love. And so, Father, I pray this morning that the hearts of the people are opened to receive your word. I pray, Father, that, that my heart is strengthened to preach and proclaim your word. And, Father, I pray that... Um, as we study your text this morning, that your Holy Spirit will be active and powerful, dividing the thoughts and intentions of our heart, laying bare our hearts before you, Father, that we would repent, submit, and come in a close relationship with you, in a close fellowship with you. 
Father, we would really see your heart, the love that you have, the desire you have for people to have a, um, a hope and a future that is eternal and not just temporal. So, Father, I thank you. Father, as we look at the problem that Jonah had, as we look at um, the, the perspective that you have upon this whole situation, I pray that, Father, we don't look at this from a historical perspective only, but, God, we look at it in the right now, how it applies to our life right here in this moment, this next week, over this past week, maybe this past year, to see, Father, that you do have a purpose for things and that even though sometimes we think that we may um, not want to share you with others because they don't deserve it, they don't deserve grace, they don't deserve a mercy, Father, that we ourselves at one time were dead in our trespasses, that we didn't deserve mercy or grace, but God, you willfully gave it to us through Christ, and that you, O oh Lord, have been keeping us, preserving us as a people for your own inheritance, Father, for a people that proclaims your glory and your goodness, even though we did not deserve it and we still don't deserve it, Father, to a people who don't deserve it, Father, which makes it beautiful that we can go up to anyone and share your love and compassion with them because we ourselves are recipients, undeserving of the grace that you poured out upon us. So, Father, this morning I pray that our hearts are open, that our ears are attentive, Father, that our minds are clear, Father. We focus on your word, Father. We see you, Father, and that you would do a mighty work in front of us, Father. And it's in Jesus' precious and holy name that I pray. Amen. All right, brothers and sisters, we are looking at Jonah chapter 4. And as you see here in, in uh, verse 10 of chapter 3, that God did not destroy the city as Jonah had proclaimed to them that he would. Because they turned and they, they turned from their wicked ways. God did not do, he did not destroy their city. So Jonah was displeased and he became angry. And he went outside of the city. Jonah is exactly where God has called him to be, but he's angry. Verse 1, it greatly displeased Jonah, and he became angry. Maybe you can relate. Maybe you, have, or you are exactly where God is wanting you to be, but you're not happy being there. That's where, that's where Jonah finds himself in this, in this narrative here. Jonah finds himself exactly where God called him to be, yet he is dissatisfied and angry. And we see that through Jonah's prayer. If you look in verse 2, he says, He prayed to the Lord and said, Please, Lord, was this not what I said while I was in my own country, that you would do this, you would be compassionate, you wouldn't destroy these people. Therefore, in order to forestall this, I fled to Tarsus. Meaning, therefore, to prevent you from saving these people, I went away. I wanted to hide from you because I knew that you're a compassionate and gracious God, that you're compassionate, slow to anger, and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents concerning calamity. I wanted them to die, is what Jonah says. And God, I knew you would save them if I go and do your will and proclaim your gospel to them. And I wanted them to perish, so I didn't go. And this is what, where Jonah is. And we see this prayer of Jonah, that of anger, self-justification, and despair. The selfish cry for his own destruction. In verse 3, Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for death is better to me than life. He is so angry at God for saving a people from destruction that he says, God, take my life from me. Wow. What a place to be in. What a problem to have. Look at the heart of Jonah. How problematic this is. He'd rather die because he, these people were not destroyed. What kind of depression is that? That you would take delight in the destruction of someone else's life? What kind of depression is that? That you would take delight in the destruction of an entire nation of people, a city of people, 120,000 people? There's a huge problem with Jonah's heart here. In his prayer, we see the heart of anger and of self-justification. He makes an excuse. That, he says, I'm justifying my sin. He says, God, I knew that you were gracious and compassionate. Therefore, I sinned against you, and it's justified. 
know that that is silliness, that we never can self-justify our sin before a holy God. But that is what Jonah does. He deduces in his mind that his fleeing from God and his, 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 um, him not trying to go and do what God has called him to do, although he knows that that very thing um, is exactly what God would have him do, and he doesn't do it. He makes excuses for why he is right in not doing it. And so as we look at the problem of Jonah's heart, I'd ask you this morning to consider the problem of your heart. Maybe you've been here. Maybe you yourself thought, man, I'm not going to share the gospel with that person. They don't deserve it. You know, maybe you've taken delight in seeing the demise of someone else. uh, Or maybe you've just thought that in your mind. And I'd ask you to take a look at your heart and to see if you have this problem that Jonah's had. And what, and a good way to analyze that is, why is, um, what, what does your prayer life look like towards a holy and just God? What does your prayers reveal about the character of your heart? As Jonah here, we see the character of his heart is that of anger and of despair and of depression and, 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 and self-justification for sin and a selfish cry, a selfish cry for his own destruction. I'd ask you, what is in your heart? In your anger, have you ever been angry with God in in such a way that you self-justify your sin before him? Is your anger and bitterness towards God blocking the blessing of enjoying the fellowship with with God himself? And is your anger directing you towards your own destruction rather than to grace in Christ? Jonah says, Jonah would have been happy had God struck him dead right here. He says, O Lord... Take my life. Death is better to me than life. And so what I ask you, if you've ever been in this place, or if you're in this place right now, I'd ask you to really consider this. Is this problem a problem with God or a problem with you? The scriptures, they talk about the anger of man. In James chapter 1, verse 20, it says, The anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Proverbs 29, 11 says, the fool gives full vent to his anger, but the wise hold it back. We'll turn to Job real quick. Job chapter 40, actually. And it says this. Job chapter 42, verses 1 through 6. Job, if you know, Job is a man who was just before God. He did everything right. He had all the right answers. He lived the right life. Uh, He was not caught up in sin, but yet a great calamity came upon him, and he was um, afflicted personally. His, His children died. He lost his goods. His cattle died. A lot of bad things happened to Job. And Job, at the end of his life, or at the end of the book here in chapter 42, he says this about what he said. And this relates to Jonah in, in this way. Jonah was angry, and he spoke, of, he spoke things that didn't make sense. In, in, in Jonah's anger, he said to God that death would be better than life. And in Job, we see Job, how he looks back upon all the things that came out of his mouth. And we see how Job's perspective is different than Jonah's perspective in this way. And it says this in chapter 42 of Job, verses 1 through 6. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have declared that which I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Hear now, and I will speak. I will ask, and you instruct me. I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear. But now my eye sees you, therefore I retract and I repent in dust and ashes. What is Job saying there? He's saying that the things that he previously spoke about his calamity and the suffering that he endured was not without purpose. 
And he spoke things that he did not understand. He declared things which he did not understand, things that were too wonderful for him that he did not know. In our anger and and sometimes in our problem of our heart when we look at a situation we're currently in, as Jonah's case, we get angry and we say things that we do not know. But if we take a minute and we look at God and we say, God, why am I angry with you? You are just holy and pure. And we reflect on God's character and exactly, exactly what Jonah says, that he's compassionate and gracious to us as a people who are undeserving of grace and compassion, we would know that we were speaking things that we do not understand. We can look to Job and what he says, things that are wonderful. God is doing a wonderful work in his people. God in Jonah chapter four is doing work in the city of Nineveh, calling this city of 120,000 people to repentance saving them from destruction and all that is in the city. That is a wonderful work. People's lives are being changed from a polytheistic attitude by the declaration of a Hebrew man into an Assyrian camp. A monotheistic person proclaiming judgment to a polytheistic people. That means Jonah served one God, Yahweh, the Ninevites served many gods. They had a, a God for everything, if you will. And so God was doing a massive, great work in a Gentile nation with a Jewish man, if you will. Yet Jonah failed to see that. And he says foolish things. If Jonah would have stopped and considered the problem with his own heart before the holy and righteous and just God, he would have seen that he was speaking out of um, ignorance. Proverbs 29, 11 says, the fool gives full vent to his anger, but the wise hold it back. So maybe that, that might be you this morning. Over the past year, I've been in that position. Been angry with God for not answering a prayer that I wanted to be answered in the affirmative. Not having a miracle done in my own family that I thought... Um, should be done. But yet I have to stand before God and look at his character and look at how he loves me and understand that there is no situation in which we will face that is not without purpose for God's people. And that is a hope. And then I have to look at my own heart and I have to say, do I have a Jonah-type heart? Is it justified? Or is my heart desperately wicked, as Jeremiah says? So I ask you this morning, do you have a Jonah-type problem in your heart causing you to sit around pouting? And that's the next thing that we're going to see is Jonah pouting before God. In verses 4 through 8, in our text in Jonah chapter 4, it says this. The Lord said, do you have good reason to be angry? All right, right there. God's replying to Jonah's actions and Jonah's statement and Jonah's prayer. God answers prayers of his people. It may not be what you want to hear, but he does answer them. And sometimes the answer of silence can be deafening. But here we see God answer, ask a question to Jonah, do you have good reason to be angry? And it's a rhetorical question, or it seems to be that way since there is no recorded answer here. But what God is doing is he's using this text, he's using that question to point directly at the heart of Jonah. Likewise, God still does that to us today. In Hebrews chapter 4, if you'll turn over there with me. Hebrews chapter 4. In verse 12, God uses his words to point directly to the heart of of men. And it says this, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing as far as the division of the soul and spirit, of both joint and marrow, able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, But all things were open and laid bare to the eyes of him 
with whom we have to do. There we go. All right. So we see God's rhetorical question to Jonah points directly to his heart. And yet today, God still speaks to his people through the word of God. And the words that God speaks to his people pierce directly to the heart of man, to my heart, to your heart. It lays bare this issue. God's asking Jonah, do you have good reason to be angry? He's showing Jonah, if Jonah would look, that you have no right to be angry. And if we have a problem in our heart, like Jonah had in his heart, instead of pouting like Jonah is about to do outside of the city, we go to God's word and we go to God in prayer and we say, Father, I got this problem in my heart. And your word, sharper than any two-edged sword, is able to lay out left and right these pieces to show me and to judge me, as James says, so that I can do and not just hear what you'd have me do. The thoughts and intentions of the heart, meaning that, that, that place in our, in our mind, that our thoughts, um, the deep desires, the motivations of us come from. And that by the word of God, no creature is hidden in God's sight because God sees all things. And all things are open and laid bare to him, to the eyes of him, the eyes of Christ, the eyes of Jesus, with whom we have to do. Amen. And I will tell you this, church, that uh, if you are a child of God, Jesus Christ is with whom you have to do on a daily basis right now. But if you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and you're not submissive to him and his word... It's appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment. And then you will have to do with him the judgment. God's word is active. It is able to ask that question to our heart. When I read the word of God and I have a Jonah-type problem in my heart, God speaks to me clearly and he shows me the judgment of my own heart, how it is desperately wicked, but also he reveals his own character through these words, this text, to me. And he, he will do to you as well. And so what we can see here is this. Jonah is not ready, he's not listening to, to this pointed question that God has for him. We see in verse, uh, verse 5, Jonah's actions are exactly in line with his contempt for his call and the reality of God's character and Jonah's desire for the death of these people. Jonah goes outside of the city and he pouts. Look in verse, um, in Jonah verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 5. Then Jonah went out of the city, sat east of it. There he made a shelter for himself and he sat under the shade until he could see what would happen in the city. Jonah wanted to go outside of the city. He know God. He knows God is a gracious and compassionate God. He wants to go outside of the city. He wants to make a camp right here for himself, just over, on, over there, over yonder, so he can see the city walls and he can see everything. And he wants to make himself a little nice little self-pity pouting party right here for himself. He can get his popcorn out and pop his popcorn and watch and see if God is going to destroy these people. And it's going to be a sight like Sodom and Gomorrah or and fire and brimstone are going to come out of the sky, or if God is going to have compassion on these people and not do that which he said he would. We know that those people repented of their sin, that they turned away from what they were doing. But in the midst of Jonah's pouting, God uses a physical situation to teach an object lesson to this man, Jonah. And you know God does that with his people today, too. God still does that. He uses object lessons, situations in our life to teach us. When we're just not hearing it, when we're just not getting it. In verse 6, it says this. So the Lord appointed a plant 
and it grew up over Jonah to be a shade over his head to deliver him from discomfort. In the midst of Jonah's pouting pity party for himself, God is compassionate to this man and causes a tree to grow up over him to be some shelter from the shade. Now, this is like in the desert uh, in the Middle East. And uh, the sun is very bright and just like South Carolina, very hot. Um, you can get sunburn real easy. And the difference is, like, in my yard, I, have no, I don't have any big trees, right? No big shade trees. And I cut my grass, and it's, like, exhausting. I'm, like, done. Uh, but when you're outside under a shade tree, you got a nice little breeze going, you can be out there all day long and not be winded by it. You can be out there and enjoy yourself, enjoy the nature. And see, God causes this plant to grow up over Jonah, and it shades him and delivers him from some physical discomfort. And Jonah was really happy about this plant. The text says Jonah was extremely happy about the plant. He was thankful for the plant. And then in verse 8, it says that, um, or sorry, verse 7, it says that God appointed a worm when dawn came and the next day, and it, after it attacked the plant and it withered. And when the sun came up, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on Jonah's head so that he became faint and begged with all his soul to die, saying, Death is better to me than life. Again, Jonah, still having his pity party, still pouting. God uses this plant, grows it up, and Jonah gets happy about this plant because it delivers him from some physical discomfort. But a worm comes and attacks this plant, and the plant dies. God is going to use this as an object lesson to teach Jonah something. And God does that today with us. Hebrews 13 and 8 says that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. Past, present, and future. John 10, 30 says that I and the Father are one. Jesus is speaking there. It said, I and the Father are one. We see that the God of the book of Jonah and Jesus Christ, the God of today, the Father, are one. He's the same God yesterday, today, and forever. He speaks through his word to us today, through the canon. But through his discipline, he teaches object, object lessons uh, through life situations, if you will. Hebrews 12, 11 says God's discipline is to make us righteous. God is using this opportunity to get Jonah to, um, to submit himself to him and to bring him into righteousness. He wants, God wants Jonah to stop this pity party. He wants him to be happy for the salvation of the Ninevites. But you know, before we judge Jonah too harshly, we ourselves are like this. At times we pout because we didn't get our way with God. We fail to see the meaning of what God has called us to, called us to or the significance of what God is doing in the midst of our situation, in the midst of uh, this whatever we're going through, and whatever reason we didn't get our way, God is using that for our good. Not all things are good, but Romans 8, 28 says all things work together for the good of those who are called according to the Lord. And so I'd, I'd encourage you this morning that if you have a Jonah problem in your heart, maybe you're angry with God because he didn't do what you asked him to do, or maybe he did uh, that which you thought was not really what you wanted, um, or maybe you have endured something that you didn't think was right, um, you've been wronged, and you're having a pity party for yourself, I'd encourage you not to do that, to move on past that. I would encourage you to, to get in, in line with God's Holy Spirit and His Word. Find the comfort in the character of God and the, in, and the comfort in the Holy Spirit and the comfort of the compassion that God has upon you in Christ, that He saved you and rescued you, not to set on a pew and have a pity party but to go forward and proclaim his goodness. And in church, understand I'm not diminishing the pain and the reality of the suffering that you've had or experiencing. I'm not. When God says no to your prayer, I'm not diminishing that pain. It's real. But feelings are fickle. And the one thing we can stand on is the hope and the promise that God's word is true. And that God is gracious. And that God knows our pain. 
Hebrews says we have a high priest who isn't always tempted as we were. He was flesh. He stepped down out of heaven, became a little lower than the angels, so he could take, taste pain for us, but also so he could taste the judgment and the full wrath of God on our behalf so we would not have to do that. That is in Christ. So maybe God didn't answer your prayers with the response that you wanted. Sure. It's your time of self-defeat and pouting benefiting anyone. Mine didn't benefit me. Has God taught you an object lesson via his discipline in your life? And are you failing to observe the beauty through the pain? In the moment, Jonah, it's hard for him to see that God is doing a great work. And in our lives, in the moment, it's hard for us to see that. You know, we, we see Abraham, who wanted a child, couldn't have a child. And a few pages later, we see him have a child, right? And a few pages later, we see him having to go up to Mount Moriah and sacrifice that child. What we fail to misunderstand is that there are years that transpire in between those pages. And so in your life, right now, I encourage you to understand that, yeah, the page can't be flipped in the next five minutes for you to see the outcome of this situation that you're in. I acknowledge that. But the reality is that we trust just as Abraham did, just as, as Isaac did, just as every one of the patriarchs did. We trust in the character of God to get us through that situation. And here's the reality. Some of you may find yourself pouting over what God has done in someone else's life, yet you feel like they didn't deserve that blessing. I've been there. But the reality is that neither you nor I deserve anything from God but judgment. However, because of his extreme compassion, we receive mercy and grace through Jesus Christ, his sinless life, his death on the cross, his endurement of God's judgment of my sin and of your sin, and his resurrection from the grave, but not only his resurrection, but right now he's alive, setting the right hand of the Father, making mediation on your behalf and my behalf. And he's coming back. He's coming back to establish a kingdom where there is no temptation to sin, where there is no departure from righteousness. He's coming back to establish that here, where we will be citizens. So be encouraged. Living in bitterness towards God based upon God's motives or his, his act or whatever you uh, perceive God to do or not do, living in bitterness towards God because of that does not lead you to a good place both physically, emotionally, and spiritually. But God is still compassionate towards you. Let's look at God's proposition to Jonah real quick. God's proposition to Jonah, we're almost done here. In verses 9 through 11, we see that God engages Jonah with a conversation. And he starts out with this. And God said to Jonah, do you have good reason to be angry about the plant? Now, if you notice this question a few minutes ago, he says "Do you to Jonah, he said, God says, do you have good reason to be angry? Well, Jonah does not answer that question. Uh, but now we see God saying, well, do you have good reason to be angry with the plant? Here we see God engaging Jonah with this object lesson of his discipline upon him, and he wants Jonah to realize and to give an account for his anger. And so Jonah's reply says, yes, I am angry enough even to die. And God, he says this, Jonah, you had compassion on the plant for which you did not work, which you did not cause to grow, which came up overnight and perished overnight. God engages the problem in Jonah's logic. And he makes it very pointed and personal. He says, you he also points out how many times Jonah says you, or uh, how many times God says you to Jonah in verse 10. You had compassion on the plant for which you did not work, 
for which you did not cause to grow, which came up overnight and perished overnight. God is pointing Jonah. He's pointing directly. He's cutting directly to Jonah's heart. And he's saying, here's the problem with your heart. You are the problem. And then God uses that object lesson. He says, look at this value you place upon this plant, Jonah. Look at this value you place on this plant that grew up overnight that you didn't do anything for. You had compassion on this plant. That's valuable to you because it shaded your head from the sun. You had compassion on this plant. You put value in this plant. God says, and he makes a comparison here, between the plant that Jonah has compassion over and the people of Nineveh that God has compassion over. He says this. Should I, this is God speaking, should I not have compassion on Nineveh? He's saying, Jonah, you compassion for a silly plant. Should I not have compassion on a human soul? God exclaims to Jonah the value of the human soul as well as the animals in the city of Nineveh. God shows his compassion for the souls of people. The plan is not made in the image of God, but people are. God shows his compassion for people, his desire for people. Verse 11, should I not have compassion on Nineveh, a great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons which do not know the difference between their right and their left hand, as well as many animals? Now, God is asking Jonah a question, but this question is a question that we ourselves have to answer. But it's a question that displays a lot about God's character. Now, this morning we've been talking a lot about God's character, his compassion over this whole study. This compassion God has all been about the character of God, the proclamation of the gospel. But I, I, I want you to notice here that God asked this question, should I not have compassion on Nineveh? But there are more than 120,000 souls there. People created in the image of God. People that are created for something that I have created them for. Jonah, you were compassionate on a plant because it, it, it gave you a shield from the sun. How much more should I have compassion on a people who can do great things for my name, proclaiming the gospel and the good news of repentance, proclaiming that I am Yahweh, that I sat on the throne, that I am the only one and true God. There is no God before me. There is no God after me. There is no other God but me. How should I not have compassion on these people who are not only just a people created in the image of God, but a people ignorant of their own sin? They don't know their right hand from their left hand. They're polytheistic. They're unsure. They don't know. They haven't had the gospel. You, Jonah, you know the truth. You know me. How could I not have compassion on these souls in their ignorance? You notice Jonah doesn't have a desire for the Gentile and Ninevites to experience God's grace, God's mercy, or his compassion. That Jonah himself desired, craved, and needed just a few chapters earlier. In chapter 2, in the belly of the fish, when Jonah cries out to God, from the depths of Sheol you rescue me, you heard my cry. Jonah here is in a dichotomy. A few minutes earlier, he needed God's mercy and grace and compassion, but now he does not want God to exhibit it on these Gentiles. And God says, how can I not have compassion on these people? We see the heart of God here in his compassion. And you know, also ourselves are like Jonah. How sad, how quickly we forget the manner from which we ourselves were prior to our salvation in Christ, church. How dire the need for us is to humble ourselves before God, before people, before each other, and go out there behind these doors and engage the drug addict, engage the homosexual, engage the prostitute, engage the businessman, the lawyer, the doctor, engage the the academic professor 
For who are we to judge who gets the gospel and who doesn't? Who are we to be that judge? Who are we to say that I'm not, your time is not worthy in my time? Calling that's open to all Christians that God has on your life is that to share the gospel. Go ye therefore into the nations, teaching and, pro- and, pre- teaching, uh, <clears throat> and preaching all that I've commanded you. That is our call. And then some of you may have a vocational call, a talent, gifts that God has given you that you ought to fulfill. And some of you um, have the gift of hospitality and things like that. How sad that we quickly forget who we once were and who we would be without Christ. And we allow that to prevent us to go to those who, who never met Christ. It is, it is necessary for us, church, to humble ourselves, to share the gospel with those whom don't deserve to hear it. For you and I are partakers undeserving of the gospel ourselves. So understand God's proposition for you today. What does God want you to do with this message? What does God want, would have you to do as, as, as God is teaching Jonah here in this time of his revealing of his character and his compassion? He says, God says, Jonah, I value people and their souls. And I'd rather them repent than be destroyed. And not only do I value people, but also I value their animals because they're my creation. People are special because they're creating the image of God. But that does not devalue the rest of creation, the animals, the trees, the nature itself. But God's beauty is displayed through the order of creation from the stars to the grass. That it is with, not without purpose, that it has purpose and meaning. So brothers and sisters, what would God have you to do today? Well, first of all, if you do not accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you do not submit to his, um, his lordship and his kingship, and you do not submit to the fact that he took the judgment and the wrath of God for your sin, then you yourself, you will endure that, that judgment yourself. You will pay that penalty yourself. That penalty is an eternal separation from, from God in hell. That's the reality. God is calling us, this proposition that God has for Jonah, is, he's calling us today to the reality of life. God is calling Jonah to the reality of life here. Jonah, should I not have compassion on Nineveh? Be realistic with me, Jonah, all right? That's what God's saying. Well, today God is calling us to be realistic with ourselves. Hey, should we not be realistic? The, real, the re- reality is that there is sin in the world. You're born into sin via the birth of Adam, and so there you are. Without Christ, you will endure the punishment for eternity. In Christ, he's already endured that punishment for you, so you will not endure that punishment. If you're in Christ, you cannot pride yourself in being in Christ. I mean, you cannot pride yourself in yourself. Rather, you pride yourself in being in Christ. You cannot be the judge of who you will or won't devote your time to in sharing the gospel. We are called to share the gospel with all people, regardless of their social status, their race, religion, creed, color. It doesn't matter. We are called to share the gospel with them. So, brothers and sisters, I would tell you that if you're not doing that, you are judging who should and should not receive eternal life. And that... Is something that's worthy of repentance. If you're pouting and angry and hurt because you didn't see God react the way you ought, to, the way you thought He ought to, be restored. Think of the character of God. Think of the motives of God. You might feel wronged, but like I said earlier, feelings are fickle. The heart is desperately wicked. But the love of Christ brings a peace that passes all understanding. Christ our Savior was much more wronged than you will ever be. Because an innocent man stood the judgment of a guilty people. And he paid the penalty on the cross. For wrong that he did not commit. So brothers and sisters, I would encourage you not to be like Jonah this morning. Not to have that problem in your heart. Not to end up in self-defeating and pouting, which leads to depression. 
but that you would engage the reality of the scriptures this morning and the reality of, of, of the character of God himself and the love that Christ has displayed on the cross, the wrong that Christ took on our behalf so that we could have a relationship with him and intimacy with him that surpasses any relationship that this world knows. And here we see the book of Jonah. The reality is God has compassion for all people. He's not a respecter of persons. He has compassion on the Jews and the Gentiles. Those who deserve it and those who don't. Well, none of us deserve his compassion. But God is a compassionate God, willing to relent if we repent. And that ought to motivate us. Amen. That ought to motivate us to share the gospel with all people for hopes that we would see a revival, that we would see repentance so that their lives are not destroyed. There's a saying that says, sin will take you farther than you wanted to go and keep you there longer than you wanted to be there and will cost you more than you ever wanted to pay. And so this morning as the band comes forward, I'm going to be up here. Uh, the altar is open. Your seats are open. If you have a Jonah problem in your heart, I encourage you to take that before God. If you're, if you're, if you're wrong or if you feel wrong and you're pouting and you're self-defeat, I, I, I beg you to take that to God. Think of his character. Search his scriptures for his character and what it reveals about what is in your heart. If you've never met Christ, I'm, I'm here. Brian's here. Walter's here. Anybody uh, that knows Christ would be willing to share how you can have a relationship with him this morning. I encourage you to do that. And then, brothers and sisters, the reality of this chapter is that God is compassionate to sinners even if his preachers and his church people are not. And so I encourage you, brothers and sisters, if you haven't been compassionate to people, look at God's compassion upon you and allow that to be reflected through you to others. And I'd encourage you to repent to a holy God for not displaying compassion to other people when he has displayed compassion to you. So this morning, the altar's open. We're going to sing some songs. I praise you just to take, I encourage you just to take an intrinsic look at your heart this morning and see what God is speaking to you. Jonah could have enjoyed the revival that was taking place in the great city of Nineveh. He didn't want to be a part of it. I encourage you, church, that we go out this morning and that we would look for areas we could try to place revival in, try to place a seed in, sharing the gospel with others so that they can experience the compassion of God and that we would rejoice with them.